Hey everybody, this is Chris from Redeemer um, with a meditation for you as you head into your real life group for this week. Um, You may be heading into a group, you may just be um, contemplating these things on your own, but whatever you're doing, um, grace and peace to you. We've been the last couple of weeks uh, exploring these questions that God asked our sister Eve and our brother Adam in the garden, and now we're fast-forwarding a long time into the Gospel of Matthew to explore these questions um, that Jesus asked to some people who are following him. And we're here in Matthew 20. These same things are recorded in uh, Mark and Luke as well. Each of the gospel writers having their own sort of take on these events. And when we turn to Matthew 20, what we're seeing is that Jesus and his disciples are journeying to Jerusalem uh, for the last time, for the final time. And Jesus keeps talking about the reality that he is about to be betrayed and to be falsely accused and denied justice and ultimately to head to the cross and die, but that he'll be raised. And nobody really understands what's going on, but that's pretty typical for Jesus's ministry. Before this, Peter has confessed that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is transfigured, showing his glory Um, And he's been teaching that when he comes into Jerusalem, the king, that, um, that this new kingdom is coming. And he's been teaching them how to follow him. And as Jesus journeyed to Jerusalem and to the cross, so we, through this season of Lent, are journeying with him um, as we learn to Um, acknowledge our own humanity and our mortality, our weakness and smallness. Um, And we, we put ourselves in a posture of dependence on Jesus as he teaches us how, how with him to take up our cross. And so we're in Matthew chapter 20. And what I'm going to do is just read this section. Uh, Next week, um, our sister Jen will talk us through the section right before it. But this is in Matthew 20, starting in verse 29 and going to verse 34. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to read it, and then we'll come back and walk through it together and contemplate it. And as they went out of Jericho, that's Jesus and his disciples, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called to them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. The word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. As we walk back through this exchange, um, let's just take some time to walk slowly through it and to notice a few things along the way. So we see that they're going out of the city of Jericho on the way to Jerusalem. This is the last thing that Matthew records and Luke records before Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And what must have been on Jesus's mind? It's, uh, it's really fascinating sometimes to try to imagine what Jesus's headspace was like. Certainly he knew what was awaiting him. Maybe not all the particular details of how it was all going to work out, but he knew that these were his last days. And <laughs> he's responding to these crowds and people are thinking he's crazy and his disciples don't even know what's going on. They just want to figure out if they can get the best seats in the house. But what must have been most on Jesus's mind as he walked into Jerusalem? As he's walking, surely his thoughts are swirling as he sees Jerusalem ahead and these two blind men are sitting along the road. I don't know why they were sitting by the road. Um, maybe they were taking a break. Maybe they were seeking alms. But what was their headspace like? What were they thinking about? Were they thinking about their need? Or were they just thinking about what they were going to eat that night? Don't know. But they hear that Jesus is passing by. And so they cry out to him and they call him the son of David. Now, God had promised this, this king, David, who was hundreds of years previous to this moment, this David who was really was a mess, but loved God and was a good king in Israel. God had promised that this line of David, this kingly line, would continue forever. And so they, they call out to Jesus for mercy and they call him son of David and they remember that, that God had made this promise that this line was going to continue forever. And what did they think that it was going to be like when David's son, one from the line of David, what did they think it was going to be like when he came? Were they even still hoping for David to come, David's son to come? It had been a long, long time. Had they given up hope on God's promise? What about you? What do you think it's going to be like when the son of David comes? Are you hoping? So they cry out to, to Jesus. They say, Lord, have mercy on us. Be kind to us. Son of David, the king. And the crowd tells them to shut up. 
<laughs> the crowd rebukes them. Shh, nothing worse than being shushed. But they're shushed by this crowd. And I don't know what the crowd thought, you know, if this savior, this one from the line of David is coming, how are you supposed to approach them? They, they certainly don't think that these blind men should come to Jesus with their need. Um, did they expect that they should be polite? Maybe folks that are disabled should just step out of the way. Really, it's a question of what, what does this Savior care about? How should you approach a coming king? So this crowd shushes them and tells them to shut up, but they don't listen. <laughs> they push into a little good trouble. And what they do is they actually embrace the words of King David. Because King David is the one that said in the 51st Psalm that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. That what you should do when you come to God, the thing that he wants to receive that's pleasing in his sight, the aroma that he loves to smell, is when we come to him with a broken heart, with our need. And so they come to, to Jesus again and they say, you can't, you can't make us shut up. Lord, have mercy on us. We are in need. You're, if you're David's son, then you know and you hear and you long to hear our needs. Um, all these people approaching D- Jesus in these different ways. Uh, it reminds me of a song um, by Bright Eyes called Don't Know When But A Day's Gonna Come. And uh, he's wrestling with this question too. Um, the songwriter, Connor Oberst, uh, when he said, is it true what I heard about the Son of God? Did he come to save? Did he come at all? And if I dried his feet with my dirty hair, would he make me clean again? He's asking that question. They're asking this question. This son of David, when he comes, will he have mercy on me? And beautiful thing happens because now we get to focus on what the way Jesus responds all the answers to these questions Jesus answers them by first Matthew writes that he stopped Jesus didn't keep moving he didn't pretend not to hear he heard them and he stopped and then he called to them And stopping, Jesus called them. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? How can I help you today? (laughs) What do you want me to do for you? Who had a better sense of what Jesus was like? Was it the crowds that were shushing these men or these these men that were saying, Lord, have mercy on us? Jesus didn't respond to the crowd. He responded to these men who came to him with their need. 
And I wonder, is this how Jesus hears your prayer? When you and I come to the Lord Jesus and, and we come first from a place of neediness and dependence, does he stop? And does he ask of you, what do you want me to do for you? Um, second song this reminds me of, and then I'll shut up about the songs. Um, if you were if you were kicking it in the '90s, then you remember "One of Us" by Joan Osborne. It was everywhere on the radio. This song has really, I think, aged well. Um, but you know, it's a song asking, you know, if God, what if God was one of us? You know, what if He was riding the bus with us? Um, she said, "If if God had a name." What would it be, and would you call it to his face if you were faced with him in all his glory? What would you ask if you had just one question? What would it be like if Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? What do you, what do you ask for? It's really like he's acting like a genie. <laughs> One wish. What these men, Matthew records in, in verse 33 there, they said, Lord, let our eyes be opened. <laughs> they ask him for the most impossible thing that they could possibly ask for. Because in, in this moment, there was no way to like do ocular surgery or any of this. This is something that is beyond healing. And they asked Jesus to grant them sight. They asked for the impossible and they asked for their greatest need. I have a friend uh, who's a pastor and the leaders of their church regularly gather to pray for impossible things to happen. I think that's beautiful. But if these men ask for this impossible thing, which is their greatest need, what is your greatest need? The thing that you just feel like it's impossible. This is never going to actually happen. And do you even know what that thing is? And if not, how do you find out? Do you just keep sitting and wondering? How could the people that you gather with in this group or people that you gather with that you, that you trust and have safety with, how can they help you know what it is that you really want Jesus to do for you? And does that feel like a really selfish question? Jesus asks it. It's not just you're asking yourself. What would you ask him for? And then this is, this is the beauty part. Jesus, in pity. Matthew didn't have to record that, but he saw how Jesus was. He saw how he responded. He saw the look on his face. He heard the tone of his voice. He said Jesus was full of pity, full of mercy, full of empathy, kindness. 
he touched them. He touched their eyes. I love that because he could have just said, now you can see, and it would have been done. But he laid his hands with his gentle touch on their eyes, and healing streams flowed from him, who is the author of life, the one who made them, the one who made up the very idea of eyes in the first place, laid his hands on them, and they were restored. And the question for us is, who is this Jesus? Is he still alive? Does he hear you when you speak to him from the quiet places in yourself? Is he with you as you gather? What do you take from hearing this story Um, that you want to change you and how you relate to God and how you relate to others. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, thank you that you heal and restore, that you stop when we call to you, that you ask us questions that we can't possibly understand the gravity of those questions and Lord that you are moved with empathy and kindness to your people. I pray that as we continue to reflect and meditate on this word, Lord, that you would have it to fall deeply on our souls, like a refreshing rain, get down to the roots of who we are, that we would bear fruit in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being a healer, for healing these men, and for still being the same today. Amen. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers.